Welcome to Briefly Legal, your podcast briefing on legal news, developments, and legislation on the go. Brought to you by the attorneys of Crow and Dunleavy. The following should not be considered as a substitute for legal advice. Visit CrowDunleavy.com for more information. Hello, loyal listeners. This is your host, Adam Childers, here with the podcast Briefly Legal, brought to you by the law firm of Crow and Dunleavy. Everybody, I am excited to come to you today with a topic that uh, has become a staple here on Briefly Legal, and that is the McGirt case, the United States Supreme Court case regarding Indian country that has consumed a lot of time in the minds of legal practitioners and in the court system. And we have you know, talked about this quite a bit, that there's so many, just a myriad of different outcomes from the McGirt case, and we've talked about them uh, Uh, really since uh, last summer when we were celebrating what was then the one-year anniversary of the the case. And now we're coming up on the second-year anniversary. And lo and behold, as we predicted in prior episodes, we are seeing some new implications from McGirt. And this time, it's in the realm of tax and consequences for those individuals in Indian country who believe perhaps they should not be um, subject to taxation uh, now or in the past, which means that's a big issue. (laughs) A lot of money at stake and uh, a lot of big issues issues that need to be covered. So when that happens and and duty calls to talk about McGirt, I know first off that I need to reach out to our friend Greg Buzzard uh, from our Tulsa office. So we're here in the Crow's Nest studio in Oklahoma City, but Greg's there in Tulsa joining us, a member of the Indian Gaming Law Practice Group. But I also wanted to talk about the intersection here with taxation, which means get to invite one of the newest members of the firm, Jeff Trevilly who's a member of our tax practice group, and uh, asked both of them to get together with us today and and really talk through this issue that's only just begun, but we're going to see implications into the future. So uh, I've got Greg and Jeff here with me. Uh, Greg, say hello to everybody and welcome and welcome back, I should say. Yeah, thanks, Adam. Uh, Great to be back. And uh, Jeff, thanks for joining us in your first time. Say hello to everybody. Hello, everyone. Thanks, Adam, for the invitation. You betcha. Well, I want to remind everybody just briefly about uh, our our two guests today and why they might uh, be some folks that can, you know, give us information about this newest wrinkle in the McGirt continuing saga. And let's talk first about Greg. Uh, Greg Buzzard is an associate in our firm's Tulsa office. He's a member of the Indian Law and Gaming Practice Group, and he's a citizen of the Cherokee Nation. Uh, He graduated from Yale Law School, where he served as president of the Native American Law Students Association. And for those of you who'd like to go back and see any of our prior work on McGirt matters, Greg has appeared in several of those. We're at episode 35 today. Go back to your our list of shows, and you'll uh, you'll see some of our prior episodes that talked about McGirt, and get a chance to hear from Greg as well. Now, Jeff, he is a director, as I mentioned, uh, one of our uh, newest directors in the firm's Oklahoma City office, and he assists clients as a member of the Taxation Practice Group. He's an experienced trial lawyer. He's a certified public accountant, and he develops comprehensive strategies for clients that face civil and criminal tax controversies, litigation, and federal 
criminal defense. And I should mention that he also currently serves as the past board president of the Oklahoma Bar Foundation. He's an excellent addition to the firm and someone I've already uh, reached out to and relied upon for issues that impact my clients that, uh, you know, uh, intersect with taxation. So good to have both of you guys here. Let's get started, guys. I'm, you know, really intrigued with all this. And I want to start with Greg because Greg, you know, I mentioned it in kind of the the prelude here that, you know, you and me and Jennifer Lamoran were talking about McGirt, you know, a year ago. And we did uh, kind of a third section then. Let's look into the future, you know, the crystal ball gazing. You know, what are some other issues that could be impacted on? And this is one that you mentioned and, and talked about. And now we're seeing it kind of come to life. And that's with this case of Alicia Strobel uh, at the Oklahoma Tax Commission. We'll, we'll let Jeff kind of talk about some of the specifics of that matter. But let me just turn to you, Greg, and kind of set the stage. Let's first talk about what has been uh, the law uh, in the state of Oklahoma as it relates to taxation of individuals whose you know generation of uh, revenue occurs on Indian country. Sure. So the, the real question is, what is Indian country? Because the law has been clear, and this is a matter of federal law, it's been clear for decades, you know, more than 100 years that a state government like Oklahoma cannot tax the income of tribal members who derive that income on their Indian country. Um, Indian country is a legal term of art. The most important component of that is a reservation. Any land within the boundaries of a reservation is Indian country. And it was thought in Oklahoma since statehood up until McGirt in 2020 came down that there were no reservations in Oklahoma for the most part. So there are other small components of Indian country, mainly folks uh, living on land that's held by the United States government in trust, but those are pretty, pretty small parcels of land. So it was generally thought that this rule that a state government cannot tax uh, on reservation income, that didn't really have much application in Oklahoma. But when McGirt came down, that's what the Supreme Court found, that these reservations in eastern Oklahoma still exist. You know, they were never disestablished by Congress. So McGirt dealt with the Muscogee Creek Nation reservation, and the Oklahoma courts have since held uh, that other reservations in eastern Oklahoma, which cover almost the whole eastern part of the state, that those reservations still exist. So there have been six reservations uh, reaffirmed under the reasoning in McGirt. And so now that sets up a tax question, you know, if the general rule is that folks who live and work on their own reservations are exempt from state taxes, you know, does that apply to these reservations in Oklahoma? And that's really what Miss Alicia Strobel's case came down to. She's a Muscogee Creek Nation tribal member who lives and works on the Muscogee Creek Nation reservation. She actually works for her own tribe, you know, the Muscogee Nation. Right. So that not much question then about, you know, whether or not this yeah. would fall within that traditional rule. But like you say, right. it comes mm-hmm. down to, but, you know, are there reservations? And and I think you mentioned this when we talked about this last year, that one of those reservations runs right through where you're sitting right now, right? In downtown yeah. Tulsa. Downtown Tulsa, we are on, you know, I'm speaking to you from the Muscogee Creek Nation Reservation. And uh, just a couple blocks to the north, anywhere north of Admiral in the city of Tulsa, uh, is the the Cherokee Nation Reservation. So, you know, that's a a huge chunk of people who now live and work on reservations. And, you know, you mentioned I'm a citizen of Cherokee Nation, and I happen to live and work on the Muscogee Creek Reservation. So, 
this reservation income tax exemption will will not apply to me under current law. Unfortunately, <laughs> I would love to you know have that exemption. But for folks like Ms. Strobel, who you know she's she's Muskogee Creek lives and works on the Muskogee Creek Nation Reservation, you know applying this long settled rule, her income should not be subject to state taxation. So that's really what you know this tax commission case is about. So Jeff, well then that kind of sets the stage for the case itself. And I want to be careful here, and and I'm sure you're thinking the same thing. But this is in an administrative stage with an administrative law judge. And that's, as I understand, not binding, but obviously this is the first step in a longer process that, that might yield an outcome where, you know, you have something that has more precedent. But talk to us for a second about the Oklahoma Tax Commission's administrative process that she's in. So the administrative process begins when the tax commission sends a, a letter to the taxpayer saying, hey, we're going to change your taxes for whatever reason. And uh, the taxpayer has uh, 60 days to file a protest with the tax commission. And that protest is really just a short, plain statement of why you disagree and the reasons you disagree. And it has to be a sworn statement. And so at that point, the protest is docketed with uh, an administrative law judge and uh, an attorney from the tax commission is assigned to the case. And, you know, there's like a, a really informal discovery process. There's some dates, uh, scheduling put in place. And so typically in a, in a tax case, there's a lot of facts in the case. And so there's a lot of stipulations, a lot of written work mm-hmm. there. And uh, so you, you stipulate to as much as you can to get topics off the table and then focus on one issue. So here, obviously, they couldn't stipulate to the core issue, right? She must have been informed that, you know, she was not going to be able to to get that exemption that she had, you know, made a request for. And so that teed it up for the ALJ to make a decision, right? Absolutely. Uh, they stipulated to everything that she was an enrolled member of the tribe, that her income was from sources within Indian country. But the last issue was whether she lived in Indian country or not. And that was the last issue. And the ALJ went through a, you know, a complete analysis of uh, why her home was within Indian country pursuant to McGirt and other cases all the way back to 1977. <laughs> yeah. So a lot, a lot of precedent out there. Right. So and, and that kind of goes to what Greg was telling us, which is it's, it's pretty settled law. The only question is. Were there any reservations that it even applied to? So I take it the ALJ then ruled in Ms. Strobel's favor? Yes, they did. After the analysis, they basically cited, you know, the McGirt analysis as well as the statute 18 U.S.C. Section 1151, which is a statute very old that defines what Indian country is. Uh, there was also a 10th Circuit case that reiterated that back in 2017. And finally, the McGirt case, which affirmed that 10th Circuit opinion that Indian country is uh, has not been de-established by Congress and the boundaries are what they are, you know, based on Congress's intent. And so she lives in Indian country. Uh, she wins. So this isn't the end of the story. Obviously, there's there's appeal rights. There's obviously the taxpayer in the situation is not going to appeal, although I do understand that from you that there's been a, a new law put in place that allows taxpayers who want to appeal to kind of get to a district court more quickly. But here, they'll probably stay within that administrative process since the appeal will come from the OTC. Is that right? 
Correct. Correct. Looks like the OTC will likely present this uh, and appeal this to the actual tax commissioners, which are three commissioners and have their case heard there for an OTC ruling or uh, an OTC opinion and uh, and which will, you know, may or may not be published. And then any aggrieved taxpayer or the, the state who does not uh, have the outcome they want from the OTC commissioners can appeal to the Supreme Court. And so this is a big enough topic with big enough ramifications. Does it feel like the kind that might we might see in the, the Oklahoma Supreme Court at some point? Absolutely. I think uh, it's unavoidable because of the monetary value that's associated with this type of decision and the number of people it will impact. So I think it's unavoidable that the uh, Supreme Court will get involved. Yeah, you mentioned the the monetary impact. I know that Ms. Strobel was requesting refund for 2017 through 2019. Is that right? That's correct. Which means she had to be one of the first ones there after McGirt was announced that you know, was looking to apply it here. Uh, you know, I have you speak to this. I, these are numbers I saw from some data in 2020, but there was some, you know, some prognostication about what the total cost could be if McGirt was applied so as to have the impact that this ALJ ruled. And the numbers that I saw were that you're talking about a $70 million annual impact in terms of lost tax revenue from Indian country, but probably just as important, or well, far more important, about $218 million in disputed tax refunds. And that's before you even factor in the, the cost of litigation and all the resources that would go into it. So I probably have answered my own question, but <laughs> we're talking about a big ticket item that's going to get a lot of attention, right? Yes, this is uh, going to get a lot of attention there's, uh, you know, many incentives for people to uh, file their refund claims, you know, as soon as possible. A lot of people did that. I think she was one of those people. Interestingly enough, initially, the tax commission went along with it and then reversed their position uh, for a lot of taxpayers and decided that, you know, the refunds that they had given back based on regard, they wanted those refunds returned as well as uh, went through the entire adjustment process which gave rise to many, many protests. So there's many in the pipeline right now. Absolutely. Yep. So this is, uh, Ms. Strobel might be the, the first one to splash across the news, but I'm sure be followed by others, which, you know, let's shift our focus and be more forward thinking about this. And Greg, I'll turn to you. You know, we've got, you know, Strobel opinion is out there. It's working its way through the administrative process, as, as Jeff explained. You know, this may be unfair, but, you know, that's the joy of a, of a podcast, right? Let's let's play crystal gazers, uh, crystal ball gazers again. Tell me, what do you think? It seems like a tough road to hoe for the the state. As Jeff mentioned at first, they were even handing out the refunds and then reverse course. But it's a big enough issue that there won't be any laying over on this one. What, what do you think might be the, the outcome here? All right, like you said, Adam, I think the state has, you know, is looking at a really tough legal landscape. The reservation income exemption from state taxation is, is very firmly established. It's one of the you know, Indian law is a complicated area of law, but this particular exemption from state taxation is about as firmly established as you can find in Indian law. So I think, you know, if they bring it to the state Supreme Court, 
the Oklahoma Supreme Court, I think, you know, that court will consider itself bound by what the United States Supreme Court has said. But, you know, litigation is is uncertain, of course, and any number of different things could happen. But the legal landscape is pretty foreboding for, for the Oklahoma Tax Commission. Now, the state of Oklahoma has shown itself to be very willing to uh, take these McGirt-related disputes to the United States Supreme Court mm. and try and get their attention. Um, it would not surprise me in the slightest if uh, these one of these McGirt-related income tax disputes made it to the state to the United States Supreme Court sooner or later. But you know, I, I do think that uh, until and unless the United States Supreme Court sort of make some wiggle room for this rule, uh, I think the state has a has a tough road ahead. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that there's there continues to be a raft of, uh, you know, cert petitions that uh, mm-hmm. uh, the attorney general for Oklahoma has filed, you know, with with some mixture of success. But like you say, not not with a complete reversal by any means of the, the core issue that would dictate the outcome here. Jeff Gregg has probably set this for us in a way that, you know, best explains the situation. But any thoughts, given your you know career as a tax practitioner that you wanted to add to, about this situation? Just that, you know, uh, with the many protests in the pipeline, I, I believe that this is going to be a slow turning ship. You know, the the precedent has been out there for a long time. It was just not recognized, honestly. And so I, I don't know that this opinion will, will be groundbreaking or uh, that the entire you know tax commission is going to shift positions. So I think this is going to be a slow process. I think there's going to be many appeals and this is far from over. So uh, there'll be different ways that this is interpreted. And again, this was a very, very clear cut case. And I think many uh, individual taxpayers are going to have their individual facts that are going to be different that I think the tax commission is going to be able to, you know, triage this uh, in a, in a way that doesn't have as much of an impact on the state economically as uh, just, you know, the wholesale signing off on uh, the refunds. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that, Jeff. Obviously, uh, these are fact-specific situations that warrant individual attention and no one administrative law judge's determination should be taken as a pronouncement of what the the law is moving forward. But it certainly is. um, I think what we described it earlier is a kind of an opening salvo in uh, on a topic that we've been talking about for a while. It's just another one of those outreaches uh, from the McGurk case, and we'll, we'll see how it plays out. I'm glad that we've got uh, the two of you monitoring it from your respective practice groups, and uh, I predict we'll have some uh, updates in the future that'll give even more clarity. But here in episode 35, you heard it first that um, this uh, next wave of the McGurk changes is afoot, and so we'll continue to monitor it. Now, um, before we get out of here, guys, you know, I love to play Get to Know That Crow, and we've played it before with with uh, Greg and so we won't make him go through it again I would I would encourage you if you hadn't heard his get to know that crow to go back and listen to it in his first episode with us and he had one of the more interesting ones of a former Jeopardy champion but let's turn our sights on Jeff Trevilian Jeff 
I know that you've got kind of a, a varied career and with different stops and, and some interesting stories along the line. But one thing that caught my eye when we were doing the pre-show for this uh, episode was talking about your times in the uh, in the barbershop. I think the late 90s, you did some cutting people's hairs and, uh, and hair and probably getting to be a good conversationalist. Tell us about that. Uh, absolutely. I, I, uh, I spent... Uh, the uh, last two and a half years of undergrad as a barber. So, I mean, it really fit my schedule. I could take appointments uh, as I needed. Uh, very good conversation with people. You know, there's a lot of personal things in, in, involved in, in spending time with someone, cutting their hair. You know, it's the it's the I mean, it's kind of a substitute country club, you know, so <laughs> I was going to say there's yeah. there's been plenty of uh, movies over the years and references to the fact that, you know, at the barbershop, you're allowed to say what's on your mind and, and you're allowed to kind of be with your buddies and it becomes, you know, kind of a, a hangout. So you, you got to be the leader of that hangout. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I just, uh, you know fit in, you know, and, and get, get my, my comments in as well. And, uh, <laughs> people, uh, would, you know, they, they come in and, and some people, you know, of course, just come in just to hang out there. They're not getting a hang, getting a haircut or whatever. And, uh, but, you know, it, it really made a, a soft spot in my heart for, uh, small business owners as well as tipping. You know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I really learned, you know, the importance of tipping, you know. <laughs> there you go. Well, so. and those are all important lessons to learn, to be sure. Now, now I need your professional opinion, Jeff. I've been accused of um, sometimes not having the most kempt uh, haircut. Do you, do you think I need to go see a specialist, uh, you know, or just let it keep going? Hey, um, I would say that uh, you let it keep going, but, you know, you take go. care of it. You know what I mean? You get to somebody who, who is very skilled and uh, they'll they'll make you look good. We'll see. I'm <laughs> going to be showing up in your office later this afternoon. Be careful what you what you ask for. So, well, that's that's great, Jeff. I appreciate that. Uh, back in the 90s, you were, uh, you know, a part of the barbershop gang. And but uh, today you're, uh, you know, dispensing uh, legal advice and helping people with uh, taxation. It's a it's been a, a long, varied road for you, but I'm glad it brought you to the crow's nest because we uh, we we appreciate what you bring to the firm. So, guys, thanks again for a really interesting look at the opening chapter of what's going to be a much longer story as it relates to McGirt and taxation. And um, I'm sure we'll have you back someday for a, an update when we get a little bit more clarity. But thanks for bringing us up to speed today. And so for all the, our loyal listeners out there, uh, that's that's a wrap for now. Please keep us in mind the next time that you have a legal topic that you want to know more about. You can always send your ideas to legal at crowdunlevy.com. And you might just hear that topic on a future episode. So until the next time, stay healthy, friends. We look forward to spending time with you here on Briefly Legal.